This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Welcome back, Knockers. It's Hannah. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to call people. <laughs> Go with this it. This is Veronique Perry's fault. Anyway. I like it. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, welcome, guys. Who are you? Uh, my name is Madison. And you're listening to Who's Knocking? Another true crime podcast. That's right. And we are back once again with part three of our series on Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, a.k.a. the Ken and Barbie Killers. Mm. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts that we did on these very fucked up individuals, check those out. But I'll still give you a quick recap to catch you up. Before I That's do that, nice of you. I did not give recap, so she's nicer than me. Yeah, I feel like I would just forget everything. I feel like recap. if I'm a listener to something like this, I'm saving up all four parts and I'm listening to them one by one. And then I'm skipping the recap. That's just oh, me. Okay, well, no, no, not to skip, say like skip this recap that I not put to say into or no, 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 because no. I know a lot of people watch listen to them one by one. So yeah. like, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. That's what I do actually. But before the very important and useful recap that I, <laughs> yeah, sorry, trigger that was warning, really you guys. Of me. <laughs> yeah. Trigger warning, explicit um, content, obviously, like all of all explicit of this is, sexual content, yeah, yeah, sexual, sexual violence, assault, sexual violence. Yeah. So let's get into the recap. Paul and Carla met in Scarborough, Ontario, in October of 1987. At the time, Carla was a 17-year-old high school student who loved animals and would go on to work at a vet clinic. And Paul was a 23-year-old narcissist who had been raised in an abusive and dysfunctional household. Did graduate university, though, so I don't know if that's... I mean... (laughs) Does that add points in favor? Not really. Like, anyone can do that these days. Um, By the time Paul was in his early 20s, he was regularly... I didn't, though. (laughs) to be honest it's fine whatever um it's not clearly it's not a metric of success if paul like you know okay so but shout out everyone who's graduated from university good for you yeah by the time that paul was in his early 20s he was regularly abusing the women he dated and had developed a fascination with pornography that featured young women being raped and abused in like home films like amateur films love that stuff and do you Huh? No, he loved that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not me. I thought you said love that stuff. No, you love that stuff. It's like that's a lot. Not me. Don't. It's a worry. lot to be. No, 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 no. Sorry, so, it's late. I'm very giggly. I'll, I'll not be like that. It's okay. It's not the time. It's fine. It's fine. So prior to meeting Carla, Paul had begun to stalk and violently rape women in his hometown of Scarborough. When the two met, Paul was charmed by Paul and initially interested in participating in a sexual relationship with him, like right away that were like they were doing like these like BDSM kind of like handcuffs and such. Mm -hmm. So she was interested, at least to a degree, in sadomasochism. At first, Paul showered Carla with gifts and affection, but quickly he became increasingly abusive to her as time went on. During the first few years of their relationship, which was long distance at the time, Paul continued to stalk and rape women, earning him the title of the Scarborough Rapist by the police who were trying to find him. In 1990, Paul became sexually obsessed with Carla's younger sister, Tammy, and Carla agreed to let him rape Tammy while she subdued her sister with sedatives she'd stolen from the vet clinic she worked at. And really overdid it there. And it really, like, never, ever loses 
like how fucked up that is like every time i think about it it's just like so disturbing what the fuck so not only did they rape tammy they filmed themselves both participating in raping tammy although based on the transcripts of the tapes that they filmed it appeared that carla was protesting and unwilling but still did it however tammy died during the assault unknown as far as was it an intentional death or an accidental death at that point they were not considered suspects however and her death was ruled as an accident later that year like at the end of the month so early february the two of them moved to a home in port dalhousie st Catharines, where paul increasingly verbally verbally physically and sexually abused carla now that he had her isolated and on at least one occasion they raped a girl together this occasion was on tape uh she was also 15 years old and they released her after in ni- uh, june 29th 1991 they were married at a lavish wedding ceremony which was the same day that the dis- dismembered body of a young girl that they had killed and disposed of two weeks earlier was found so let's pick up with that part of the case. Mm. June 16th, 1991, two weeks before their wedding, a 14-year-old girl named Leslie Mahaffey, who will have her photo up, lived in Burlington, Ontario, got home, passed her curfew, and was locked out of her house. Oh, yes, How I remember this. How shitty is this? I remember like, my mom talking about yeah. this, why she would never lock us out. Ever, ever, ever. So I don't think she was necessarily... Okay, so she kind of was-ish locked out of the house. There's this whole backstory that I read. Basically, um, you know, 14-year-old girl, she had been going through some, like, rebellious phase. Mm-hmm. So she had lost the rights to have the key to her house, essentially. So her parents were like, you better come home before this time or you're going to be locked out. Then they kind of reconciled and were like, all right, Leslie, we are going to... Um, get you a key but they had changed the locks and they didn't have a key for her yet so she didn't she was past her curfew so they locked the doors and went to bed I assume for like their safety but it does kind of seem like it was one of those situations where it was like this is why you don't come this is what we're going to do to ensure you don't come home past your curfew they're giving your consequences right Um, just those are very unsafe consequences yeah so and also what where she had been was because she was out one of her friends, like a very close friend, had recently been killed in a car accident. So she had gone to a memorial for him. And then after that, like her and her friends gathered, I think it was just like at a park drinking beer that like an older kid bought them. So they were kind of throwing like a party in their friend's honor. So she got home three hours past her curfew, which was 11 p.m. She got home at 2 a.m. and the doors were locked. So since it was so past her curfew. She didn't want to ring the doorbell and wake her parents up because she thought they're probably going to nag me. They're going to be upset that I'm home so late. So she called a friend. She walked to a payphone and called a friend and basically told them that. And they're like, Leslie, just wake your parents up. Like, it's fine. And she was like, okay, I will. And went back home. But she didn't, she felt reluctant to do that. Like, she was like, I'm going to be in trouble and whatever. So she sat down at her backyard, in her backyard at a picnic table And a few minutes later, a man in a hooded jacket emerged from the darkness and walked up to her. Ew, that is so creepy. Yeah. And, of course... So he was in her... Or he probably saw her walking around and then followed her into the backyard. He saw her and followed her. Oh, that is so predatorial. It was the biggest creep of all time, Paul Bernardo. And how scary would that be? I know. Especially when knowing that you're home, like... So close to home. (gasps) But not, like, locked out. So... Paul was in Burlington, so this was in Burlington, which is several hours from St. Catharines, 
He was on a detour during one of his cigarette smuggling missions because he liked to steal license plates from different neighborhoods, which he would use on his gold Nissan to sneak past the border. So there was this whole thing with the cigarette smuggling where if they change the plates, the the border police don't know how many times did you come through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you smuggling? Whatever, whatever. Just, it looks like a different car. Yeah. So he was like collecting different license plates. However, he spotted Leslie and he's a predator. So he went up to Leslie. Allegedly, he acted very friendly to her based on what he told Carla later. Apparently, Leslie asked him for a cigarette. She was like, oh, you seem friendly. Do you have a cigarette? I don't know if that's true or not. That's what Paul told Carla. So I don't fucking believe anything Paul says, but or Carla. So he said, yeah, I've got some cigarettes in my car. It's parked on the next street over. Why don't you come with me? Let's go walk over to my car and I will get you a cigarette. Yeah. So Leslie went with him. But she was a little cautious and she told him, I'm not going to get in the car. I'll just kind of sit, but I'll keep my legs out of the car and not shut the door. However, so he gave her the cigarette. And however, when she turned her head away to blow out smoke, Paul put a knife to her throat and told her, get your legs in the car. So he tied a shirt around her eyes like a blindfold and told her, do everything I say or he's going to, I'm going to kill you. Classic fucking Paul move. So he pulled the lever on her seat so she was basically lying down and put a blanket over her to cover her up while she just like obviously cried and was really upset. And he drove her like that to Carla's home, being very, very careful to obey all the traffic laws. Well, he did. Really shows how like aware and intentional he is. Yeah, he knows what he's doing and he's had like a he's been years of practice. This. Yeah, and he's been wanting to do this for a while. Like he's been wanting to abduct someone for a yeah, while, like a true. young woman. So I'm sure he had it all planned out. Like he had a rape kit. This It was a whole thing. So when Paul got his hostage home, he informed her that if she tried to run or if her blindfold came off at any point, he would kill her. Because I guess she hadn't clearly seen his face. Like I, I would Well, assume... I'm sure she saw him, but it's like he doesn't want to know her to know where she is. Right. That. And he was like kind of wearing a hood and it was dark. So she probably didn't get a super close look at him. Yeah. So... I don't know how much like detail I should get into it. I like skim a lot of the details because he got his camera right out and started filming her. So there's a lot of fucking details about what he did. Um, But I'll only say what feels very necessary. So he took her to a spare bedroom and tied her to the bedpost with twine. Then he went upstairs to the master bedroom to wake Carla up and let her know that he'd kidnapped a girl. And he told her, okay, Carla, go back to sleep. I'll call you when I'm ready. So Carla was like, yeah, I'll go back to sleep. She basically, like Carla had said that she was kind of in shock that he actually went through with it, but she wasn't going to like go rescue the girl. She was like, I'll just let him get on with it and wait till he calls me. I'm like, how is this shocking at this point? He's been saying he's going to do it. He's like literally a rapist and you're aware of it. Yeah. I don't know if she knows he's the Scarborough rapist. But she's aware of his rapes. At least that he rapes at least some people. Obviously like Tammy. So yeah. So Paul went back to Leslie, punches her in the face to stop her from crying because he's literally garbage on the face of this earth. And we know this because in later videotapes, her lip was visibly bruised. He untied Leslie, undressed her once again like his other victims, raped her both anally and vaginally, and then forced her to perform oral sex on him. Then he went to the kitchen and got two champagne glasses, filled them both, and put sleeping pills in Leslie's, telling her to drink the whole glass. Oh, I kind of remember this. Yeah. So then he got his camera back out and filmed himself assaulting her some more. 
like I've said multiple times, not, I guess, yet in this episode, but in previous ones, the transcripts of this assault can be found in Lethal Marriage, which is the book I read. If you want to read the details, they are out there. There's a couple books um, where you can read the transcripts. It goes into pretty significant graphic detail. So my question, because like, I agree, I don't think you should get into like too much, but is there anything like very specific? He had some specific fetishes. So one of the things he was really like, uh, like sexually aroused by like people urinating or defecating. Like he just like got sexually aroused by that. So he would like film Leslie like going to the bathroom. Like he was like telling her to like, he was like, good job, you're doing great while filming that. That was like one of his things he was Ew. really into. Yeah, kind of random fetish. That's really disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because it's non-consensual. Like was she going to the bathroom like on a toilet or like? Yeah, I think so. Ew, that's so And he gross. was just like close up filming it. That was one of his things. His other thing was like basically like, vaginal and anal rape like he was really into that that's like one thing he always did um and uh physical violence so whenever she'd refuse something punch her punch beat her so that's that's kind of the gist of it i will get into more details of like the specific stuff that he wanted to do because it's repetitive like the the things that he wants can be seen in his relationship with carla and repeatedly over time so defecating yeah that's like one of his things that turns him on it's just really gross. Yeah, and I believe he also did it on Leslie. I don't think I wrote that down, but he filmed he himself. I think he wanted to poop on her, but he couldn't. So he peed on her. So he peed on her. That's so gross. Yeah, it's gross. And shit. Like, it's just, like, for her. Like That is, like, I would vomit. Yeah, it's pretty gross. That's so gross. I mean, like, if it's consensual, whatever, but I it's mean, still yeah, gross. Whatever. But, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say it's gross. I don't want to no, kink no. shame. I'm sorry. No, I think it's gross. <laughs> it's <'cause laughs> I'm- kink shame. <laughs> King Shane Madison. Whatever. I don't care. Like, that's gross. Yeah. If it's what you want to do, like, do that's it, fine. but consent. But go for it. But but this is bad. Because obviously, Leslie's not fucking consenting in any way. When something is gross to you, you can't help it. Like, I can't help but think that's gross. I think it's pretty gross, but I also, like, don't care if someone, like, to me, it's like. No, whatever, whatever somebody does in their own home, it's, yeah, I don't it's care. Like fine. But it's in this context, it's repulsive. I still think it's gross. We, I'm just trying not to kink shame. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to kink shame Madison. I don't want to shame people for like not. No, like, I don't know. That's gross. like a thing. You don't want to kink shame people. It's like you know, it's important. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's important on my home community of Reddit. We don't do that. No, there. it's fine. But it's poo. I know. I know. Okay, so Carla woke up in the morning, went downstairs, and see Parla. Oh, pa- sorry, I can't talk. Paul and Leslie asleep together on the spare bedroom bed because he'd given Leslie sleeping pills, so she was passed out. Right. Fucking biggest creep on the universe decides that I'll sleep with Ken. I'll sleep next to Leslie. Like that's what he decides. And Carla was absolutely furious. Why? Because Paul had used their most expensive champagne glasses that they were only supposed to use together on special occasions. I remember this. See, I looked into the case many years ago and like, this, like what I are really, these I remember Carla? these, I remember these champagne glasses. Yeah, she was pissed that she, and she, I don't think she said anything, but she was like, are you fucking kidding me? You used our champagne glasses, yeah, Paul? Yeah, as if poor girl is like raped and passed out. Yeah. Been like peed on. Let's um check our, she, I don't think she'd been peed on yet at that point. I think that comes later. Um, God. There are many, many details. Uh, check out Lethal Marriage. But it's pretty sickening. That stuff stays with you. Like, I read it years ago and, like, just, it's just. No, yeah. Oh, not that way. Like, reading the, the transcripts is it's definitely. not going to leave my head. Yeah. And you might read the book. You were saying you might want to. Well, yeah, I'm very curious about It's pretty interesting. It's not, it's not at, it's sexually graphic, but it's not v- too violently graphic, if that makes sense. 
like the Ant Hill kids, we always refer back. I feel like yeah. that's like our gold standard for like the worst. Yeah. But really there's graphic. Yeah, yeah, there's like very graphic depictions of at home surgeries, which to me is just somehow different. Well, it's scarier for it's some scary, reason. It's scary, but the sex. It's very like Frankenstein y. Yeah, like, yeah. Anyway, this stuff's pretty graphic, but the way that the author, Nick Prawn, describes it in the book I read, because he kind of like describes the transcripts um and he'll describe it as like the sexual stuff in great detail and then just be like and he beat her like he won't just so that's what he's very explicit about but so um paul woke up later in the day because he'd been up late and he was in a great mood because he's the worst and he's that's horrible like you're a horrible person when you're like not raping and murdering people but like once you start doing that stuff it's like that makes you happy just makes you nice and chipper like yeah horrific it's yeah he's very very scary so he assaulted leslie some more which is all on tape and transcribed and carla can be seen joining in on assault on assaulting leslie in the tapes so basically like i didn't write down the descriptions but like i said it'll never leave my brain so it did sound like because leslie would be like you can see her on the footage being like help me help me assuming that she's speaking to Carla and it seemed like Carla was like a little bit shell-shocked and a little bit like oh I don't know about this but she wasn't like no Paul stop don't do this I'm not gonna join in she did join in but it it sounded like she wasn't like from the description that this author gave it sounded like she was um a little bit in shock but very compliant with what Paul wanted and so that's where they were like bringing her to the bathroom to like pee and poop on her and like all that stuff and and getting Carla to rape her and and getting um Leslie to say like oh Paul you're the king you're the best I love doing this like getting her to say all that shit so Paul was like beating her when she refused raping her throughout the day and administering sleeping pills to her uh intermittently a poor girl like that I know so terrifying so terrifying and she was very um she's 14 yeah she was 14 and she was very much in fear like the way it describes her she would just be like lying on the ground in like the fetal position and they're just like we're back to torture you some more yeah so it's just so awful and i'm sure she pleaded like i don't specifically recall but i'm sure she was saying you know i don't see you guys i know at one point her blindfold started to slip and she said oh please fix my blindfold it hasn't slipped yet but it might like she really believed that maybe she could stand a chance like she was the type of girl like or not that she was the type of girl but she was the type of victim where she was just trying to preserve her life like she wasn't i don't think she was fighting back too much i think she was just kind of like let me do what i can so that they'll let me go yeah so at the end of the day Paul apparently told Carla, we're going to have to kill her so she doesn't identify us. Um, And Carla didn't disagree. So allegedly, Carla wanted to give Leslie sleeping pills so that her death would be painless. And when she passed out, apparently, again, allegedly, Paul strangled Leslie with an electrical cord while Carla watched, which was like a very, very graphically described strangulation with like blood coming out of her nose and ears and stuff and then after they left her for a second um her she made a noise which i believe was just a noise in death yeah, yeah. and they freaked out and then like strangled her some more so oh that's what happened to balls. poor leslie that's horrible i know and and like how sad is it that like she was locked out of her house like the parents like how could you ever obviously the parents didn't intend for that to happen no, like and i don't blame them in any way so but guilty that like, must be like can you imagine living with that yeah like that must be so hard to live with because it's like that's what caused her to die and i think a lot of parents too um 
It's like they were trying to use tough love on her because they thought that that would be the best thing for her because they loved her. And it wasn't, clearly. And that now they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And that is just brutal. That is experiencing hell. Yeah. That is what hell is on Earth. Absolutely. Like everything she went through and everything the family went through. So, yeah. And, And what I said about Paul strangling Leslie, that's... We'll get into it later, but that's the account that was in Lethal Marriage. So there are there are gonna we'll talk about it later. Yeah, because that wasn't filmed, right? It was not filmed. No deaths were filmed. Which also again to me kind of shows well, obviously this was an intentional murder, but it kind of shows that Paul sexually gets off on rape and abuse. He doesn't care about the murders. The murders are not some people do. Some people the murder is a big thing for them. So So it's interesting, I think. There was no no footage of murders. I do think it's more common for it, like, not to be about the murder. It's, like, it's yeah. about the torture. It's right. about the, like, fear. It's right. about the rape or whatever. And most of the time, I think it's just you, like, they not, they saw your face. So and you he liked having, because some people, like, I'm thinking, like, a Jeffrey Dahmer loved having power over the dead victim. Like, he loved mm-hmm. having that like he, he loved having lonely. yeah he loved yeah. having like a perfectly submissive servant that could never leave him yeah. whereas paul seemed to be more aroused when people would fight back or yeah like the, or when they showed fear. resistance and fear yeah that's what like kind of turned him on more so he wanted like a living sex slave quote unquote so apparently again lethal marriage said carla was freaking out and just panicking but paul seemed exhilarated I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. And Carla's parents were coming over for dinner that day, which she was obviously concerned about. So they covered Leslie's body with a blanket and put her in the basement. Paul then told Carla, wash everything that could have any traces of Leslie's DNA. Clean up the evidence. So Carol and Dorothy Homolka arrive for dinner and Paul and Carla give them the tour of the house. Imagine fucking giving your parents a tour of the house while the body of a child that you just raped and murdered is in your basement they make me so angry it just doesn't like you are not humans like that doesn't make sense and they knew that it's kind of an alibi for them like oh we were having dinner with our parents that day it's very close and timely um so they gave a tour of the house including paul's stupid rap studio (laughs) they're like hey guys (sighs) check out this really important room (laughs) check out this really important (laughs) oh it's just like it just so adds important. such a layer of like you're already audacity, yeah, yeah, and like sh- shamelessness, yeah, and just like you're such a narcissist that yeah. you really think you should have a rap studio. That's just how you're... you know, like you just don't give a fuck. He doesn't. He doesn't have any any morality at all. Um, which side note, of course, childhood makes sense, but I truly wonder, and we're not gonna like disturb them, but I truly wonder what happened to Paul's brother and sister. Because yeah. did they turn out normal? Because I think like Robert Picton and he was the one who was implicated, but his brother was definitely a part of his crimes. Yeah. A big part. And it's like the nature nurture thing of did Paul, I haven't really looked into, I, th- I believe Debbie and, and is his sister and I forget his brother's name. I haven't really looked into it, but I, I well, do wonder if they turned out. Yeah, and I think I started this like theory in my head too recently about like, you know how people are like, you know, um, like two kids, for example, they live in the same house and like, but like one turns out to be a murder and one's right. fine. It's like, I think that doesn't necessarily say that like the environment, that it was like a genetic thing or whatever, because 
I think some like birth order has a lot to do with like even if you're born in the same house like socialization essentially yeah even if you're born in the same house like it doesn't mean you're treated the same it doesn't mean you have the same experiences like it doesn't mean like like there's a lot of families where like the father will like have a favorite or the mother treats one by the or right because Paul was like the bastard child yeah yeah, or like in a situation where there's three siblings and like you know there's abuse like maybe one child takes the reins and is like protective of the other kids like um, I just hear a lot of people There's say like – There's a lot of dynamics at play. Yeah. A, a lot of people say like they were raised by the same parents. Like how did one turn out that way and the other – it's like very, I'm very so interested. Easy. Also like obviously Carla became murdery. And yeah. And her sisters like were clearly fine. Yeah. Well, one of them's dead. But – so anyways, they're giving the tour of the house um, and when they want – like they would like go to the basement and um, like they were like about to go to the basement and they're like, oh, the basement's unfinished. There's nothing to see down there. And then at one point during dinner, I that's think, risky. Yeah, and at one point during dinner, I think that um, I forget what it was. Like they were out of something, or Carla had spilled something, and they went to go down into the like the Carla's mom Dorothy was like, "Let me just go down into the basement and grab something." And Carla's like, "No, no, no, I'll get it, I'll get it." Like, okay. So they had dinner and drinks with Carla's parents while poor Leslie's body was down there. And then when the parents left, they started planning to decide like how they're going to get rid of her body. So Paul, ever since he was like a teenager, had talked about this idea, like he, friends of his would later say, he had talked about this idea of committing a perfect crime, where when he, a murder was committed, he would encase the, he would cut up the body and encase the pieces in cement and throw the cement pieces into the lake where they would fall to the bottom and never be seen again. So he had this allegedly. From, so was he like making molds out of cement? Like what is the cement? What is, what is there, that? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, the way it was described, it was like they were boxes, so they had a top and a bottom. So I think he like, like a filled lid. a bottom mold and then created a lid. And then I guess like... So he's molding these out of cement. Yeah. He went and bought like a ton of cement from the hardware store and whatever. And he paid cash. But then I believe he had like gotten a receipt because he ended up returning some of it. And he was like, oh, fuck, that's a trace. Like it was this like, whole thing. Cut your losses. Like, yeah. You had to return some of it. Like you're just... Your priorities are what the fuck so anyways he decided he was going to cut up leslie's body in case the pieces cement throws my pieces into a lake so he chopped leslie's body up into 10 pieces with a saw that his grandfather had given him and he got cement from a store to um like encase it within and and apparently he was like really disgusted after he cut up the body and was saying oh carla like i'll never eat meat again that was awful and like putting on this whole show Can you like, imagine chopping up a body no and i think it, the way it was described was some parts were harder to chop up and he had to really work on it and it just sounds absolutely disgusting like i've said this in another episode but my dogs eat raw food and even handling that which is already kind of processed is very gross and sometimes like it's sinewy and it sticks together and it's just it's no i'm not into I mean, I'm not into You're not into dismembering bodies? (laughs) Not quite. So Paul dropped off some of the concrete blocks because they were very heavy. So this was 10 pieces. So he managed to drop off some of the smaller pieces into the local lake, Lake Lake Gibson, on his own. And then he got Carla to help bring him help bring more on another trip while he was like verbally abusing her all the way for making mistakes, like forgetting to put gloves on. So he's just like beating up on her verbally and making her um you know, lift parts of Leslie's body in cement and help him lift them into a lake. Um, and then he also threw the saw he'd used to cut Leslie's body up into the lake to also get rid of that piece of evidence. All that's done. Also, I believe that it's said in Lethal Marriage, again, 
I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently when Carla's family was over, they noticed like a stain on the rug in the master bedroom and were like, hey, what's that? And Carla's like, oh, I spilled some tomato juice. So that happened, apparently. I don't know for sure. So like I mentioned last time, Leslie's body parts were discovered two weeks later, the very same day that Paul and Carla were married by a man and his son who were fishing at that lake. So not really the perfect crime if they're found not two weeks later. Not at all, because here's the thing. They reported, obviously, finding the body parts to the police, and the police theorized that whoever had dumped the body parts was from the area because they had must have been thrown from a certain part like that was like a side road that a lot of people wouldn't know about. But they must be new to the area because they had left the cement blocks in an area where water levels fluctuated. So people who knew the area well would have known that that area sometimes is more shallow. Interesting. And had they known to pick a different spot where that wasn't the case, the concrete boxes may never have been found. Yeah, because they were just like wading in the water, the right? Knee high. Yeah. So it's obvious. So it's super shallow. Yeah, super And it probably shallow. when they and, threw it in, it was not. And and pro- yeah, it definitely wasn't when they threw it. And also like you could see it clearly with that amount of shallow water. Yeah. So at first uh, they didn't know whose body it was. I mean. Um, yeah, why would you? Yeah, so. So Leslie's um, disappearance had been kind of kept quiet in the media. Like the Niagara police force was being quiet about it and they hadn't really alerted the media. And then later when the media kind of was alerted, her disappearance and then eventual murder wasn't highly publicized because she was seen in the media as a runaway at first, as opposed to like a good girl that went missing. So, but since the decapitated head they found had braces and so did Leslie, they were able to match the body as being hers through dental records they called the parents for. So once Leslie was identified, the local police began to ramp up their search for her killer. However, one challenge they were facing was that unlike the FBI in the USA, Canada's police forces at the time, I don't know now, but at the time, they didn't have a centralized database. So it obviously significantly limited the efficiency of their investigation. Witnesses had seen a man around the neighborhood the evening that Leslie vanished, and a composite photo was created. At a press conference, it was pointed out that the man in the image resembled the Scarborough Rapist Composite, and the Mm. police agreed to check it out. Wow, so somebody put that together. Somebody put it together at a press conference. However, another young woman, um, I believe by the name of Terry Anderson had gone missing in Burlington as well at this time, but her disappearance had captured the attention of the media in a way that Leslie's hadn't. So it buried the composite sketch in the news cycle and just Leslie's case in general wasn't being as Uh, like talked about, I guess. And although a reward of $25,000 for information on anything to do with Leslie's murder had been posted, nothing too much came of it. And at this point, a man named Peter Stark, who was suspected in previous murders of young women in the area, had become the police's major suspect in Leslie's murder. So they had this other guy, Peter Stark, that they were surveilling that they thought like he was already suspected of previous murders in the area. And over four million dollars was spent investigating that guy, Peter Stark. So did he, he did he end up was he a murderer? Do you know? I don't know, to be honest. He definitely didn't murder Leslie. Yeah. But he was suspected. I mean, he was a known creep and like the police knew of him and stuff. Maybe he murdered that other girl. Um I'm not sure. So that was June of 1991. Like I said last episode, Paul and Carla were married June 29th, the same day Leslie's body parts were found. So Paul and Carla went on a honeymoon to Hawaii. And then as far as we know, they did not commit any more crimes together until um, 
April, the following April, 1992. So, so it was a big chunk of time. It was a big chunk of time that goes in between like pretty much every source I read. I'm not sure if it was one of those situations because I know Paul was like becoming very paranoid and was like, the police are wiretapping me and was super paranoid. So I don't know if he wanted to lay low. I don't yeah, know if he was raping in the meantime. Especially because that was a pretty big murder with like- And, and the body parts were found. And the, yeah, exactly. So that's already like- I mean, he's crazy, but he's not stupid. Yeah, because for him, he's never, ever been even, like, there's never even been anything where anything, you know what I mean? There's like, body parts to be found. Right. Or even with Tammy's death, it was like, oh, it's accidental. Yeah. So he And it was quickly, like, like this, determined to be accidental and then done. Right. Like, this was finally maybe shaking up his confidence. Um, con- uh, coincidentally, early in April of 1992, investigators from the sexual assault quad... Uh, sexual assault squad of the Toronto Metro Police had narrowed down the list of suspects in the Scarborough rapist case from 224 down to five possible suspects based on their forensic testing. So you'll recall Paul gave his DNA voluntarily November of 1990. It is now April of 1992, two and a half years later. They have narrowed the suspects down to five. And is he one of them? One of them was Paul. Thank God. Yeah, thank fucking God. However, because the lab was backlogged with other cases, they weren't going to be able to start a full DNA analysis on these five suspects until the fall, and the results probably wouldn't be in until the following January. So that is very slow shameful. hunt for the Scarborough rapist. How did anybody solve any crimes before? I know. Like, I feel like now everything is, it's like it's so... Efficient. Well, and it's just because like everything's... Everywhere you go, you're on camera. There's cell phone towers, right, like right, all. Phones. Like that's how people get caught now. But yeah. back then, it's Google like search history. Yeah, everyone's searching things. Like now, before it was like way easier to get away with murder. Yeah, I don't know how they solved anything. Yeah, they had no database. Right, their DNA is not being tested. I think like, they didn't solve very many things. That's why so many cases are either being solved now yeah yeah it's insane i know so one thing i also will mention is that there were a few more instances just like at varying points in time where paul almost was caught for something Mm. which is so frustrating yeah because i had mentioned a few where like uh he had raped a girl and two men chased him but he got away there was one time i recall where he was like repeatedly following women in his car and filming them and somebody, Ew. which is so creepy. So somebody calls. It's, so blatant. it's yeah, it it really is. So somebody called, or maybe he thought they didn't notice. I don't know. Somebody called saying, "Hey, this car's following me. Here's the license plate." And the police are like, "Oh, that license plate isn't for a gold Nissan. It's for like a black Mazda." So and it's some random guy, because Paul had fake yeah. license plates on his car. Another time, he was regularly staking out this one specific parking lot, like, over time, because there was this one waitress he was really attracted to that worked there. So he was like, Carla, I'm going to fucking rape this waitress, whatever, whatever. So he was constantly in this parking lot, I believe, had his camera as well. So one woman saw that and was like, I'm going to call the police. This guy's creeping around. What the hell is that? And so this time he had the correct plates on. uh, I believe it was like 660-something, gold Nissan, whatever. And the police were like, yeah, that's a gentleman by the name of Paul Bernardo. He has no criminal record. And being creepy in a parking lot isn't a crime, so can't do anything, lady. Because they didn't have the database that had he sent, had him as a suspect as a Scarborough rapist. And he hadn't been implicated in Tammy's death at all. Yeah, imagine they searched it up and were like, oh. Oh, he's the fucking Scarborough. One out of five chance he's yeah. a Scarborough rapist? Yeah, let's take a look at this creep. Yeah. So there was that. Those were two instances I recall off the top of my head. I believe there might have been one or two more similar things like that, but it's just so frustrating to know like he could have almost been caught lives at would have been multiple saved. points. Yeah. Because unfortunately, 
Paul and Carla were going to commit one more abduction, rape, and murder. So it's not over. And I'm sure they would have done more if they had been... Um, actually, oh. interesting how it all wraps up. Yeah, I don't remember. I'll I'll get to that. This this episode we're gonna talk about up until, um, basically like the end of their crimes. So together. So, <laughs> April nineteenth, nineteen ninety two. Fifteen year old Kristen French was the youngest of five children. She was a very athletic young woman who belonged to multiple sport clubs as well as being a straight A student. Every day, she walked home from the Holy Cross Catholic school that she attended, and that 15-minute walk home was really the only time she was alone all day. As she crossed the school parking lot on the afternoon of April 19, 1992, a woman in a parked car flagged her down. The young blonde woman was holding a map and asked Christian to help her with directions. Chris fucking Carla. Right. And the young woman, <laughs> Carla, was so frazzled because she was stressed with Paul, like, you know, verbally beating up on her, that she actually had picked up the wrong map and wasn't even holding a map of St. Catherine. She was holding one of Scarborough. So she had the wrong map, but Kristen didn't notice. Uh, like, because Kristen approaches the car to take a look at the map, at which point a man which got out. Which you never do. Yeah. Just don't, any car that slows down, just do not get anywhere near it. Yeah. Seriously. Especially if you're a young girl. Yeah. Or just in general. Like, there's no... Well, now people have they can, GPS. So they can it's like, stop whatever. a big burly man. Right. If they need directions. Right. Yeah. And also now, obviously, people don't need directions anymore because GPS, yeah. but still. So Kristen approached the car to take a look at the map, at which point a man got out of the car and advanced on her from behind, holding a knife up to her neck and ordering her to get in the car. By the way, school parking lot, mid-afternoon. And so he wasn't in the car. He was hiding nearby. I believe he was in the car. I think he might have been in the back seat and Carla was in the driver's seat. Something like this. Carla like, was definitely in the driver's seat. He wasn't visible. He beginning? popped out. Yeah. From behind yeah, her. Because like it's much as a young girl, you're like, oh, a woman. That's fine. what it, that's why. Yeah. yeah. That's why Carla was the bait. Um, so held a knife to her neck, ordered her in the car. Kristen really fought against him. She was very, very brave. But obviously, he overpowered her. Yeah. Big man. Teenage and there's girl. two of them. Yeah. So in the struggle, the man didn't notice that one of Christian's shoes, a loafer, had fallen off. And also, a piece of the map had ripped and fallen to the ground as well. So there's quite a struggle getting her into the car. Again, broad fucking daylight. School parking lot. Like That's insane. It, and it's a weekday? Yeah. She was heading home from school. So, like, there was no one in the parking lot? or like There were some people around. So there they were, were like, witnesses, which we will get to. Bold. Very, very bold. So for weeks prior, maybe even months prior, Paul Bernardo had been stalking out local schools, planning to find another quote-unquote virgin to abduct and use as a sex slave and then murder afterwards. And on that day, with the help of his wife Carla, he had once again succeeded in abducting a young woman. So Carla drove home while Paul subdued Christian in the back seat. When they got home, Carla closed all the blinds, unplugged all the phones, and gave Paul a shirt to use as a blindfold on Kristen, who, even though she'd already seen them, this was with the goal of disorienting her and making her more fearful and easy to control. So Paul told Carla, wait downstairs. He brought Kristen to the master bedroom, and like he had done with Leslie, he filmed himself raping her vaginally, anally, and then forced her to perform oral sex on him, but not before punching her aggressively when she initially refused. So same exact shit once again. Yeah. At that point, Paul noticed that she was missing a shoe and got pissed at Carla for not noticing that Kristen had lost it. But he was thrilled, obviously, because he had another uh, 
person to torture. So like he had with Leslie, he did the thing where he was like, go to the bathroom. I need to film you like urinating. Something he was super into. And then Carlos told Paul, we should use a different sleeping pill other than Halcyon with Kristen because they knew they were going to kill her since she'd seen both their faces. And maybe maybe it was part of it all along. I don't know. But they at least to dispose of the evidence, they knew they were going to kill her. Yeah. And I think at that point, it's like, we, we know did we, can, we did it. We can get away with yeah, it. Yeah, we know yeah. we can do it again. This is how we do it. So this they didn't want. how we do it. <laughs> that's, that's what they're singing that's while they do it. it. Sorry. So they didn't want the two murders to be linked by police um, because they knew like. They had this whole plan for how they're going to dispose of Kristen's body, which I don't know if they made it bef- this plan before they actually abducted her or if it was made on the fly. But they, I will tell you how, like, their whole plan for how they were going to dispose of her body. But they knew the police were going to find her body. I will just say that for now and get more into the details later. And they didn't want Leslie and Kristen's murders at that point to be linked. So actually, that will change. But so they used some other sleeping pills, which Carla had gotten from a doctor to subdue Kristen. A missing person alert was issued for her. And while that was going on, Paul and Carla taped themselves violently sexually assaulting her over the co- course of several days because um, they, like, apparently were, like, really, really attracted to Kristen. Um, so they wanted to, like, keep her longer. So, mm. yeah. So they would, like, film her, like, several days. Again, transcripts in Lethal Marriage of Assaults. And they were doing, like, the same things with Leslie and the same things with Carla role-playing as Tammy, where they were saying, like, you know, say you're, like, a useless, like, sex slave for Paul and tell Paul how much you love him. So she had to be like, I love you, Paul. I love you, Carla. Um, So that was happening. Disgusting. It's so disgusting. And again, like, kind of the same, like, the same pattern. Yeah, there's a huge like, pattern here. Totally. We're like, the exact same thing. He wants the And now they've done the it so many times, like, they know exactly what they want. They just want. have, like, a whole plan. And it's very serial. Is, yeah, very much so. And I think it's very interesting how Paul always wants his victims to say they love him. Like, that's kind of fucked up. Like, you probably that's were never told you were loved as a kid, which is very sad. But this is not what love is. But also, he grew up always equating love is abuse, which yeah. is very sad. Um, still does not excuse any of this. But as far, as far as the why, I think it says a lot. Absolutely. So... Side and note. it's a power thing too like he yes, wants like yes. the the victim comply. to be completely comply. but also gets turned on when she doesn't and then he can like beat her into submission yeah. um also have to say this several times this i don't think this was on tape but it was mentioned several times in lethal marriage that paul would get Kristen to listen to some of his rap music and sing his terrible lyrics to her like hey Kristen, check out this rap music what i'm a like fucking right white rapper and like rap at her and she would just be like it's great i don't want you to beat me so it's awesome that, oh my god that's her- it's like the worst crime of all <laughs> like not obviously joking it's not but it's just like you're just like Psycho the lack cat. of self-awareness the lack of just like any like the complete self-obsession that you think you have any right to make this poor girl go through any of this and then on top of that listening to your rap which is horrible like we've heard his rap we played it last time his raps are bad they are objectively terrible i just like it just shows like how delusional yes very that's the right word for both of them i would say yeah i think she's delusional and he's just like they're both fucking just complete narcissists yeah he is and and he like obviously he the thing with narcissists is, like, they'll always talk about their lies as if they're true, and then they want people around them to, like, 
support buy it. into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they want people to like back them up. So obviously he's like, yeah, Carla, I'm the king, right? And Carla's like, yeah, you deserve all the sex lives in the world. Maybe because she doesn't, maybe because she gets off on that. Maybe because she doesn't want to get beaten by him. Maybe a combination of both. Maybe because she loves him and like she thinks he's really cool. Like who knows? Maybe, but definitely some people have speculated that Carla had this condition where she got aroused by her partner's sexual violence. Some people do speculate that. Whereas others speculate she was an abused woman. She was just in survival mode. I to me I kind of think the truth is somewhere in between yeah I agree I think that for sure because I just I don't think it's like one or the other um yeah 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 like it could be both. she's like way too involved for her to just be like a poor victim right exactly and well we'll get into it a little bit more later but she did at least from right now, what we know initially is she did have some interest in like sadomasochism, which yeah. doesn't have to go. Obviously, the BDSM community is about consent. Yeah. So that's like a, that's where you're not really doing it. But we at least know that she had some sexual interest in violence. Yeah. So meanwhile, while they're torturing Kristen, a local woman was watching TV and saw a news alert about Kristen's disappearance, which the police right away or very soon knew that it was a kidnapping because they found her missing shoe in the parking right. lot. As well, they found a lock of hair and that was forensically analyzed and determined to match hairs from Kristen's hairbrush. The woman who had, um, this woman who called the police while watching TV, seeing the news alert, she had seen a man leaning into a car in the parking lot, struggling with what looked like a large package in the car. She called the police to report what she saw but all she was sure of was that the car was a two-door sporty type car. And this was the gold Nissan? It was the gold Nissan. She thought it might have been a Camaro, but she wasn't sure. Several other witnesses, because obviously there were fucking witnesses, this was broad daylight. Several other witnesses corroborated to the police that the car in the parking lot could have been a Camaro, but they weren't sure either. Yeah. Because so who the fuck knows? Like, I would never know. I would not know either. So that's what the police had to go on. So the Niagara police put a bulletin across North America saying that a beige two-door Camaro was the vehicle that was used, the vehicle that was wanted in the kidnapping of Christian French. Billboards with photos of a mid-1980s model of a Camaro were put up as well. Oh, and there. men around the area and at the border who drove those types of Camaros were being stopped and, like, aggressively searched by the police. So there would just be a man driving as beige mid-90s Camaro and police would be like, get the fuck out of the car. We need to search you. Like they would be like, uh, maybe they didn't say like that, but it was like aggressive, <laughs> like get out, like you're a sexual predator. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul drives a fucking gold Nissan. Yeah. So wrong color. Wrong big name. fucking fail. So the media's attention was really like piqued by this case. Kristen, I guess. Like, she was so young. She, and she was like a straight A student, stolen in broad daylight from the parking lot, whereas yeah, Leslie had been aggressive. viewed as like a runaway. And yeah, and she went missing in the middle of the night. So it's right. like, it's more like. She was out. She, there was no indication to see if she got, she came home. Right. Whatever. So, um, so over the next 10 months, a complete fucking failure of an investigation was launched featuring 30 detectives plus support staff and costing an estimated $10 million in taxpayer money. All of this investigation was based on the faulty assumption that the kidnapper they were looking for drove a beige Camaro. Oh, you how could recall? you go so hard on that when they she, so di- when she clearly that. didn't know? I think they were just see- like, I guess they were just like, we have nothing else to go off of. That's like. But that's still like aggressive to search. Like it's something because like at least you can know like the location and like a- maybe a general description of the guy. But like to like just like 
we're gonna spend billions of dollars go hardcore on like the make and model when she clearly was like i don't know yeah yeah that's what they did and i have photos we'll put them up of the billboards um that uh were like have you seen this car so initially, police didn't consider that there was a link between Leslie's death and Kristen's kidnapping because Leslie's death had happened in Burlington and Kristen's kid or Leslie's kidnapping, sorry, was from Burlington and Kristen's kidnapping was from St. Catharines, which were several hours apart from each other. Okay. And as well, because they were focused on that guy, Peter Stark, as being Leslie's murderer. Right. So it's in the sa- I believe it's in the same jurisdiction. Maybe it's not. But either way, they're not being connected at all at that point. Back at their house, Paul and Carla continued to abuse Christian physically and sexually for several days. Here's oh, where several days. several fucking days. Uh three days, I believe, at least. On tape, Carla is shown visibly enjoying assaulting Kristen and forcing Kristen to perform sexual acts on her. Again, was she playing like she was enjoying it to appease Paul? For but three days. But the way it's described in Lethal Marriage, it's like Carla was moaning in pleasure. Carla was like clearly enjoying it. Like it was described as her loving it. And she would say things like, I love little girls and just generally like acting like she was enjoying herself. It's disgusting. She alleged later, t- like she would later say, I don't like lesbian sex. I'm not into it. I just do it because Paul makes me. But in the tapes. It's very easy to say that he made you do it. Right. After but, the fact. but it like, so again, transcripts in Lethal Marriage, the transcripts of Tammy's rape and murder or manslaughter or whatever, Carla's like crying, no, I don't want to rape her, Paul. I don't want to be involved in this. You just do it. Leslie and Kristen's tapes. Leslie's tape, Carla's get really getting in on it, but she's acting a little bit like like she she from the descriptions that I read, she's not as like like enthusiastic. She's just like doing it, or maybe, I don't know. It seemed the way it was described seemed less, but here it's like she was loving it. And same with the Jane Doe one, which um, some sources put Jane Doe's um, assault that she was let go June 7th, which would have been two weeks before Leslie Mahaffey was kidnapped and murdered by them. But in Lethal Marriage, the Jane Doe um, rape is listed after Leslie. Right. So, however, a lot of official sources I read, or like not official, but like seemingly more legit sources I read said June 7th, so it was before. But anyways, so it seems like Carla's like genuinely loving this. Um, which I think is very, very interesting. Like not in a not in a good way. It's disgusting, but yeah. I think it's interesting as far as the extent of Carla's voluntarily involvement in yeah. this situation and how much gratification she's getting from it. So then, when Paul went out to get food, Kristen tried to convince Carla to let her go and escape with her, and was like, "Come on, we can leave him. Like, I know you're scared of him too. Like, I really need to go home and see my people." But Carla was like, "No." That's not happening. She just refused. So Carla had a chance to let Kristen go. At least one, if not more. Because what happened was Paul was like, I want to get... I remember this too. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to go get food. And Kristen was like, I specifically want this type of food that I know it's going to take you a little while to get. So I can... Yeah, Kristen was like very much a fighter. Like she was like, I'm not going to just let this happen. Interestingly, although Carla denied it later, in like footage, it looked like Kristen's face had been bruised by a rubber mallet, which was what... Paul had given Carla in case she needed to use that. So it looked like while Paul was out, Carla had seriously beaten Kristen with a mallet. Mm. So it's like, I don't know. Was she, yeah, was she like, was she doing that because she was like, Kristen, I just need you to shut up and like stop? Or was she doing it because I'm getting pleasure or feeling? um, Well, I'm sure, and my theory, 
from my limited knowledge is yeah. that like she resented all these people that she Paul was, wanted. She, she was channeling her anger that should have been to Paul too. But it's like victims. her, her, yeah, and her, her feelings would have been jealousy. Like this is my husband, and uh, he wants to like you're nothing. Like, like basically, she chooses. Like she, she sees these um, victims of like rape, assault, and murder as just like um, like people he's cheating on her with. It could basically be. the it, equivalent. It could be like honestly, the way I see it is very much from my perspective as a dog trainer. I have to say, <laughs> dog psychology. Because uh, I I don't know like human psychology that much, I guess. But with dogs, it's like when dogs are in a stressful or abusive situation, there's not every dog is going to react the same way. There's going to be the dog that's just like sh- completely shutting down under pressure and cowering. There's going to be the dog that's like lashing back at the human in the situation. And there's going to be the dog that just redirects and takes their aggression or s- frustration or stress out on a weaker dog. Yeah. So, and that's like that dog is not like the weaker dog is not at all trying to go for you. They're not trying to start any conflict at all. But the dog in stress is going at that dog. Yeah. And that's a way for them because they feel weak. They feel stressed. It's It's a way that they can feel power. Yeah. Yeah, And it's a way that they can feel slightly less weak. So for Carla, that's psychologically where I see her. I feel like she is somebody who for sure Paul was horrific to her. He was horrible to her. So for her, her psychology is in a really, like her mental health is in a terrible place. Even if she was... Uh, like a shitty sadistic person which kind of seems like she is we don't really know I guess but we don't I mean I don't know but no matter what like Paul was triggering her to be in a really bad mental place and so whether or not she would have done it had Paul not been around we don't really know I doubt it but with that condition in place she was taking it out on the weaker people that's the vibe that I get and she probably was getting some degree of gratification from it whether it was genuine i feel better now or just like an adrenaline rush which can be very addictive so i definitely think she was an active participant in beating Kristen and raping Kristen, probably with leslie too maybe intentionally murdering tammy and i think that's why she was like i think that's her not her like conscious motivation but i think subconsciously she was like i'm feeling all this rage i had this perfect fantasy life taken away from me now it's a fucking nightmare now i have to deal with this horrible guy day in and day out i'm stuck with him because he has footage of me raping my sister so i can't leave him he is Mm -hmm. and like she's probably so pissed off like we saw how angry she was the champagne glasses were used so i think she did beat Kristen, and she probably was satisfied by doing and it. like she the, the champagne glasses to me show that like she still wants to have this perfect life she's right. still showing to like everybody to that, that she yeah everybody she's still like showing to the world that that is the image that she has so she's like okay i have to just go and do this like dark underworld horrible shit to maintain this uh image this of perfection lie. in my life and like all right I'll, i'm just gonna do it and that's to me is just like where you see that she's a bad person because it's like dude yeah. Just I mean the get, Tammy thing like, didn't fucking tip you off? Like yeah. no, no, but it just like how I just feel like she really badly wants to show like right. how perfect her life is. Yeah, she doesn't want to admit. And that is selfishness. I think it's selfishness. I think there's an element of denial, but yeah. I think with at like beyond a doubt, this girl is only thinking about herself. Yes. Like she's not she's a very self-centered individual. Yeah, that's that's very much the vibe that I get from all of this. And I think it's interesting to what extent does she um, actually receive gratification from like the, the rapes and all that stuff. So finally, Paul was done with Kristen. It was on the fourth day since they kidnapped her. 
And she had been, like I said, really like struggling against him and fighting back and That's becoming like four days like yeah three i think it was three days yeah and they were um i think it had been three days and it was on the fourth day or no sorry it had been three days sorry i said that wrong but basically like they've been uh periodically dosing her with sleeping pills as well so she's like groggy disoriented and making her listen to his fucking rap music so she was becoming increasingly more like resistant and she was she called paul a bastard which like really triggered him because that's like what his mom had called him um and on camera the last thing she said was i don't know how your wife can stand to be around you to paul and paul was just like shut the fuck up just shut up like on camera so she was just like obviously realized i think she knew she'd always seen them Unlike Leslie, I don't think she had any hope that she was going to be let go. Yeah. Whereas I think Leslie was more subdued because she, she thought, thought she yeah. was going to be let go. She was blindfolded. Kristen was blindfolded at one point, but, but then it's like not for the rest of it. Three days. Yeah. And she saw their faces, everything. So at that point, allegedly, based on lethal marriage, Paul got the electrical cord that he'd used to strangle Leslie and strangled Kristen for seven minutes until she was dead. So four, it was now four days after Kristen had been kidnapped and it was Easter Sunday morning. So I believe it was three days um, and on the end of the third day was when she was killed. Morning after, Paul and Carla were once again supposed to have dinner with Carla's parents that night. But what? That's such it's a just like a thing. Yeah. But I think this time it was at the Homolka's house. Okay. But still alibi for timeline-ish. True. Ish. True, I don't true. know. So... They wanted to dispose of the evidence and the DNA before they went out for dinner. So they cut off Kristen's hair, not to impede identification, but because they thought some of the fibers of their carpet, where they'd been like mm. raping her on the carpet, they thought maybe some of those fibers could have attached to her hair. So let's cut that hair off. And they scrubbed her body clean in the bathtub, making sure to clean out like her vagina and rectum to clear out any Paul's yeah. semen. And then they burned all her clothes and her belongings in their fireplace and wiped down everything that she might have touched. They covered Kristen's body with a blanket and laid her corpse in the master bedroom and then went over to the homokos for dinner. Damn. But can you fucking imagine? Oh, hey, mom and dad. No, like, no I wonder can't Carla's imagine. dead behind the eyes. Yeah. I'm sure she was a long time ago, but yeah. So they did that. Paul decided, I don't know if it was at this point or what, this is what I was mentioning before, they decided that they should dump the body in Burlington, thinking that if Kristen's body was found in the same city as Leslie Mahaffey, uh, where she disappeared from, investigators would think the killer was from Burlington. They drove, and apparently, this is like from Lethal Marriage, apparently Paul initially was like, hey, we should take Kristen's body and dump it on Leslie's grave, and then they'll know the two cases were related and in Burlington. So they want them to be related. Now but they want them to be related, but to think it's a killer from Burlington. Yeah, yeah, so that doesn't... So apparently they drove around and couldn't find Leslie's grave. Like, obviously, how would you find it? I don't know if that's true or not. That's from Lethal Marriage. Um, so then they instead drove Kristen's body to an illegal dumping site, and they left her body visible, barely, just barely covered some leaves over her at this illegal dumping site, so that the police would find it and focus their attention on that area instead of Port Dalhousie. So instead of the area that Paul and Carla lived, which was also where Leslie's body had been found. Like they had 
put her body parts in cement in the Dalhousie Lake. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, no, it was in Bar- Burlington. The killer just happened to put Leslie's yeah, yeah, yeah. body okay, parts. Okay, because they know that uh, Leslie was taken from Burlington and then just like happened. And they knew that the people who dumped her or they're, they're alleging that the people who dumped her were not didn't know the area well. Yeah, they were they were from the area enough to knew, know but that. But new to the area. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks later, mm-hmm. um, end of April, early May, a man scavenging for scrap metal came across Kristen's body. Police were quickly able to identify her because although her face had become, like, decomposed, she had a deformity where she was missing the top part of her left fin- pinky finger. So they were easily mm-hmm. able to identify it as her. At this point, the police decided that the murders of Leslie and Kristen were likely connected. Although this wasn't released to the public, the autopsies of both young women showed two bruises, one on either side of their spinal column, consistent with an imprint of a pair of knees, as if a pair of knees were on their back strangling them. Because I guess although Leslie was dismembered, they had enough. Like, I I think the torso was all. Yeah. So... They had also heard from witnesses that they'd seen two people in the car that abduct- abducted Kristen, and an FBI profile determined that it was likely a duo of a dominant and submissive pair, most likely with sexual crimes on record, probably at least one of them with a blue-collar job like a mechanic. The t- and back when they did the Scarborough rapist case, it was a different profile. They thought it was like more of like an up-and-coming young man. And, like, fair enough, there was two different, like, super different one person versus two people. And super different crimes, murder yeah. versus rape. So the task there was a task force created in charge of searching for Kristen's killer, and it was named the Green Ribbon Project because Kristen's classmates had started wearing green ribbons in her honor, which is very, very sad. And across the province, I mentioned this before, but thousands of pamphlets and billboards continue to be posted reading, have you seen this car? With a photo of a 1981 Camaro, even though the police had originally said they were looking for a 1982 model, which looked quite different. And like, how did from the woman going like, I don't know. Maybe it's a Camaro. How did they go to like, it's a 1982 model? And now they're fucking, even though, even they thought that and they still posted a photo of a 1981 one, which looked different. Like the curves of the car were different. So it was just like a complete... Like, complete failure of an investigation. Meanwhile, as this whole investigation is going on, Carla's busy dressing up as a schoolgirl and role-playing as Kristen during sex with Paul. Disgusting. Because of fucking course they have to do that and, like, replay the tapes and whatever, whatever. Paul um, just being horrible and Carla either enjoying it or forcibly playing along. Who knows? Maybe a little bit of both. Also... Not relevant to the story, but obviously to include this, they adopted an iguana named Spike, just so you know. So now they have... They have Buddy, the Rottweiler, and an iguana named Spike. Like, Carla was an animal lover, so that's kind of, like, a key thing in this case, because obviously the vet clinic was where she stole drugs from. But iguanas aren't actually really that good pets, because they grow really, really big, and people shouldn't really have them as pets. So, anyways, not relevant, but... I feel like I always have to bring in the animal facts. So at one point, 12 days after Kristen's body was found, someone who knew Paul and was like creeped out by him tipped off the police that he could be involved in the kidnappings of the young women. Um, I believe it was one of his friends who was like, yeah, you know, Paul talks about raping women sometimes. Like maybe it could be him. The perfect crime. Right. With the encased body parts. Yeah. Oh, sounds fucking familiar. I don't know if it was the same person, but basically the pl- he t- told the police like, hey, you should check this guy out. So the police were like, all right, let's go check him out. So they showed up at his house and were like, hey, we just wanted to ask you some questions. But as they're like looking around, they're like, okay, wait, this guy has photos of him and his like beautiful wife 
questionably, I know. Um, on the mantelpiece, this guy's a clean cut, white collar type guy. This guy seems nervous, but we're police, so fine. But he's very compliant and answering our questions. So he probably doesn't fit the profile of this blue collar, rough sex crime guy that we're looking for. So they interviewed him and Paul was just super, like he just played it off and they were like, all right, can't be him. And Paul was like, haha, Carla, I just fooled the police. Like obviously it was giving him more like fuel for his ego. So once again, could have been caught, but through circumstances, he was not. Mm. So as time went on, Paul grew increasingly agitated because he feared that like police were trailing him. He was... He was just needing, essentially, he was needing, like, constant stimulation. So he was, like, cruising around looking for women. Then he was like, Carla, do this sexual stuff with me. And then he's like, Carla, I'm mad at you. Let me beat the shit out of you. And let me, Carla, come with me on this run for cigarettes, even though you have to go to your work in the morning. Like, just, like. It's like an addiction that just, you keep. um, He was, like, out of control. Yeah. Super agitated. You keep needing more and more and more. Yeah. And again. Tolerance is lowered. Right, right. So Kristen, uh, they had kidnapped her. I believe it was uh, April 19th. I want to make sure I get that day right. Um, yeah, April 19th. And so she was. her body was found like around May. And around this time, as far as I know, no successful rapes or murders. No successful is the wrong word for it. But you know what I mean? No like carried out rapes or murders happening. But Paul's just like super like agitated, intense and uh, violent with Carla. And he started like beating her on the legs and arms with a flashlight when he was mad at her so like causing significant bruises which like people at the vet clinic would notice and she'd be like oh buddy and i were wrestling that's how it happened and he'd do this like in like he'd do all these like crazy punishments punishments quote unquote like carla didn't really do anything it was like carla you spilled something on the floor like i'm gonna fucking beat you like he would like carla you didn't say i love you enough like i'm gonna attack you now and so one of the really terrifying things he did was he locked her in the basement with the lights off and he told her or like he closed her in the basement. I don't know if he locked her necessarily and told her like Leslie's ghost is down there like she's going to attack you. And then he was like, don't come out until like the morning. Don't come out for hours. And she did come out like a little bit. And Paul was waiting in the hallway and like scared her. Like he's That's just like so creepy. such a horrible like just living with him is a nightmare. Like yeah. I'm sure for him yeah. every day is mental torment and anguish since he's grown up. But he's like a tornado of of toxicity just. that just like puts it on everyone else around him. So he's that. a monster. Yeah, he's a he is the definition. Absolutely. Like I think there's very very little human human qualities uh, there. So, but you know, at the same time. I was listening to some other true crime thing about some really horrible guy and uh, he like kidnapped a girl and um, had her for a while and then he ended up letting her go and she testified at his trial and she was like really nice to him in a kind of a way. And the person describing it was like, you know, we call these people monsters, but like this is a human being. This is like what happens to human beings. Like this is this is a piece of humanity and this is like it is, yeah. this is like what logically happens to people. In these circumstances. Right. So like thinking that this is like – that this is so far out of like what a human being yeah. is, is just not right. It's, it, it comes down is, to the socialization. It's like Lord of the Flies again where it's like those boys probably weren't monsters. I mean it's a fictional book but – I think. But those boys like were fine like normal boys. But once they were in this extreme social circumstance, they became murderers. They went into a frenzy. And I even buy that like there's something wrong in his head. Like there's some sort I think of there genetic is, thing. Because, maybe not even genetic but maybe like 
frontal lobe trauma. You know what no, I mean? No, but I think there's possible, like, if if you cycle it down, like, if the, right. the grandfather's an abuser right, right, and right, the father's right, right, an abuser, right. yeah, it's probably they're all socializing each other, but maybe they also have a genetic right, disposition right. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a bit of both. And maybe it's a genetic disposition to, like, extra anger or being aggressive. Right. And then it's just, like, then you throw in yeah. more stuff being and, abused. And, and with Paul, obviously, like, he never had a positive influence in his life. He never had a good yeah. relationship. So... For him, it's like he continues to seek out and attract the same abusive situations where he's gaining and gaining power by, like, abusing the weaker, quote-unquote, women. Not that they're weaker than him, but he makes them weaker. He convinces them that they are. So And they're just more vulnerable. Right, right. Younger and all that stuff. And, and he, like, knows how to manipulate them. So skipping ahead a couple of months to the winter, December of 1992. Again, from what I understand, no crimes committed in between April and December that are proven, like, without a doubt. Um, There were, side note, like, there were a few crimes that Paul has either been accused of later on, or Carla, Paul and Carla, or maybe during this time. There's been a couple of cases where it's like, this girl disappeared, these rapes in New York and Paul could have been in New York. Like there was like certain situations, but nothing known for sure. And I believe any trial, if any of them did get taken to trial, were always inconclusive. So we don't know. So I'm only going to say the things that we know beyond a doubt. Um, But maybe they were committing other crimes. I'm not sure. But skipping ahead a couple months, December 27th, 1992 was the beginning of the end for Paul and Carla's relationship. Finally. Yeah. Um, Met in October 1987. Now it's 1992. So five-year relationship, which five years too long, man. Five years of just chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. So in Lethal Marriage, it says that Paul essentially was just, like I said, super agitated all the time and would just work himself into these intense states of anger and resentment for no significant triggering reason. It would be like dumb shit. And so he... This was December 27th, 1992. And so I believe they were driving back home from smuggling cigarettes. He was getting pissed at Carla in the car and he started hitting her. But this time he was hitting her and punching her in her face and head uh, with his fist. Which, which he didn't do he before. he had not done previously. So Carla woke up the next morning. Her face was swollen. Her cheeks were bruised. And one eye was almost swollen completely I remember shut. these photos. Oh, these aren't even – that's not even yet the photos. I have them, but it's not even this – it gets – like it's past this. It's after this. Those photos. So she was like pretty beaten up, but he beat her with his fists. So apparently Paul wanted to go out with some friends that night. And he told Carla, hide in the closet so they don't see your face when they get to the house. Like you're just absolutely despicable. When he came back from drinking, he apparently hugged her and said, hey, Carla, I know things have been pretty rough for us lately, but I promise everything will get better. Like it's me and you against the world. Everything's fine. Like, oh, okay, sure. And then Carla like cried and was like, okay, thanks, Paul. Like. I don't know. I'm sure she didn't believe it at this point, no. but she probably was just like, this is all I have. Like, I'm sure she's so beaten down at yeah. this point. Like, I really want to make it clear that in my opinion, I don't think it was a scenario. It was like, Paul and Carly, these two evil people, but we're really nice to each other. But let's pick on these, like, no, murder yeah. these other people. Paul, it was Carla him. was a victim of Paul, too. Yeah. She no, absolutely was. Um, so no surprise, Paul started punching Carla in the head again a couple days later because she didn't like, he didn't like the way she'd taken a phone message. Like one of the reasons that he'd get mad at her was like, Carly forgot to tape the Simpsons and he would like fucking lose it on her. So a couple days into the new year of 1993, Carla went back, um, Carla went back to work at the animal clinic and her face was still bruised from uh, Paul like punching her, but she told her coworkers she'd been in a car accident and they were like, 
you're clearly lying like yeah and these are the type of these are the people who would recognize this pattern right there's been a pattern at this point so one of her coworkers got her friend to make an anonymous call to carla's parents i think carla she i get the impression that she's difficult to confront and she probably just shuts people down oh, when they I'm try sure. and confront her which is a coping mechanism like sure. I, it is a it is like not unheard of that she would do that but i think they were like all right just call the parents because this is this has got to stop so in the call the friend said anonymously you better get help for your daughter she's hurt really bad that's all they said so carla's parents didn't know what the caller necessarily meant but they were worried sounds like she's like dead on the side of the road like it could be anything right so they headed over to paul and carla's house on bayview drive however nobody was home because paul had gotten carla to go with him on a cigarette smuggling run so the homokos called 911 and the police basically said well it's possible that that anonymous call you got was just like a sick prank because what are we supposed to do about it yeah so the parents went back home when Car- Paul and Carla returned home, it was after midnight with a car filled with cigarettes and Paul was, guess what, extremely angry as usual. So he started going off at Carla for not covering up her bruises with makeup. With makeup. Then he started beating her on the head and body with a flashlight. At, that, at home, he told Carla, put on the favorite dress of mine that I like. He handcuffed her and he raped her anally while strangling her with the electrical cord that he'd allegedly used to kill Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. He led up right when she was about to lose consciousness just to basically show her like he had full control over ending her life. Very like playing God. And Carla was left extremely afraid and very, very angry because he just like totally assaulted her. So I'm going to show you a photo of Carla's injuries at this point. Yeah. Isn't that fucking awful? Because I think at that point, maybe he was like, I don't want to necessarily, uh, abduct another girl because i don't know but maybe he's like i don't want to abduct another girl because like he's scared he's gonna get caught the police yeah. interviewed him blah 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 so he's like fuck it take it out on carla she's gonna take it so you've seen the photos but that's yeah. the blacked eyes um and we can leave it to people to find these on their own if you don't want to put them up so ch- i mean it's a little graphic. we'll think about it we'll think about it definitely not the tammy autopsy photos but no maybe those ones i don't they're uh, very easy we'll to decide. find yeah you just google it that's true So these injuries were so severe that one of her eyes had almost come out of its socket, which is terrifying. And yeah, and she had a broken rib and her legs were so bruised that she could barely walk. So she was beat. So it's like, what do you have to do to like have your eye come out of the socket? I think he was just like fucking hitting her with the flashlight. It's like where, how do they? Maybe like here? Yeah. I didn't fully, but it like almost. Yeah, no, I know. And like, I know it's true. It's just, I don't know the like mechanisms. For, like, Ugh, so awful. Like imagine how scary that would be like to That'd be, be terrifying. And, you, like, and you'd think you were going to die. And it's your husband. The one person that you're supposed to like be safe with. So psychologically, that's got to fuck you up. Yeah. Not that she already wasn't extremely fucked up, but Carla still went back to work the next day. Which I don't know if Paul tried to convince her not to or if he was sleeping in. because How of could the, she even see or walk? She was – well, you you saw the photos. She went back to work. And that's where I think she was done with Paul. Yeah, and she knew. Because I think she was like, fuck She knew this. they were suspicious. Yeah, and if I show up like this, like, that's a cry for help. Yeah. I think at that point she was like, dude, like, he used to not – like, he used to always beat her, but he drew the line at beating her on the face. And now he, like, went way beyond that line, which – And nearly killed her. Psycho- She's probably scared for her right, life. Right, right. And he had, like – raped her and, and like tortured her with the strangling with the electrical cord so i think she was just like that i'm done like this is this is where it has to end so her co-worker called her mom again and this time was like or i guess 
this time she called her mom directly and was like, come straight to the vet's office and get Carla. Like, you need to come get her right now. So Dorothy Homolka shows up. She's horrified, obviously, by Carla's face. But apparently Carla just tried to act casual and like nothing was really wrong. She took her out to lunch at McDonald's. Carla could barely walk because of the bruises. And she was like, no, I don't want to leave Paul. Like, I, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And her mom was just like, Carla, like, you obviously aren't fine like you're far from fine and and I think from Carla's perspective she was probably like I really want to get away from Paul but I don't want my parents to find out what I did to Tammy yeah so I think that's she's that's the whole crux of why she stays the whole time yeah she must be so torn she's been blackmailed right and she has to admit to like having raped her sister and like been involved in many rapes and murders yeah like she wants to leave the relationship at this point I think it's probably like jail's probably better than the hell she's living in it could be but she still doesn't want to admit you know well I think there's a lot of people who like the like they're they're fine with with even like the they they've accepted like I'm probably gonna go to prison, but like I'm not gonna admit it along the way. But right. you know that nobody's just gonna allow it to happen, right? So it's just like okay, I'll just keep denying it, but like it's on my face. It's yeah, exactly. So she said, "I want to go back to work. I want to go back home to Paul." And her mom let her go. What? Yeah, her mom let her go. But later in the day, she was like, okay, fuck this. And her and Lori, the middle sister, drove over to Port Dalhousie and basically dragged Carla, who was home alone at the time, out of the house. How do you let somebody who looks like that? Yeah, they let her go, which I think very interesting about the family. Like, I think that's weird. The family really seems like they're just, like, really emotionally detached. Yeah. And I'm sure after, like, the death of their 15-year-old daughter, like, things were probably even worse. Right, right. Um, it's very like there's a few more things about her family that come up but it's very very enigmatic to me like I don't quite understand it but so they drove her to the hospital they're like Carla like I know you don't want to leave but like you're we're dragging you you. and Carla's like tiny so they're like we're getting you out of here so January 5th 1993 a doctor from the ER of the St. Catherine's General Hospital called the police to report what was the worst case of spousal abuse he had ever seen Paul Damn. Bernardo, Carla's husband, beat her. Police, go fucking pick up Paul Bernardo. Look what he did to his wife. Later that evening, Paul Bernardo was arrested. At the headquarters of the Niagara Police Station, he was interrogated, fingerprinted, photographed, and then given a charge for assault. The next morning, he appeared in court, and after consenting to show up at an upcoming hearing, he was released. Oy. So, released back into society. No surprise here, when he was released to go home, he was extremely angry. So first he called the Homolka's house. When they didn't want to talk to him, he showed up at Carla's mom's workplace and mm. her sister's workplace, threatened them, and was like, tell me where fucking Carla is. But nobody would tell them where Carla was. Uh, tell him where Carla was. What he, a, like, you, no, so we're not going to give you access to Carla. Like, we saw like, that you oh, beat the sure, shit out of right her. Oh, sure, she's right over here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Paul. She's been waiting for you. Yeah. He also, this was described in detail in lethal marriage he sat in his studio and recorded a super cringy message on a cassette tape about how lonely he was and how much he loved and missed carla and it was like carla it's me and you against the world like i miss you carly like all this this it went on for pages of just his like you have no grounds for this paul like you do you do not have any reason to deserve anyone's not that you don't deserve anyone's love i guess you don't you deserve but like, nobody's sympathy and and then he did this very typical narcissist thing where he was like carla i'm gonna kill myself because like if i can't live without you i yeah, can't live yeah, they always do that. they always do and of course there was no signs that he ever tried to commit suicide and it's like okay go for just it. self and yeah 
do us all a favor, bro. But so anyways, just being self-indulgent. So Paul couldn't find Carla because she had moved in with her aunt and uncle in Brampton, which is a city west of Toronto, St. Catharines and Port Dalhousie, in Port Dalhousie, which is part of St. Catharines, we're east of Toronto. So she had moved to the opposite, side. the opposite side. And as far as her aunt and uncle knew, they were just helping their innocent niece seek refuge from her abusive husband. So they were like sheltering her. Well, into the new year, into January, Carla's injuries were starting to heal and her mood was improving as well. In a diary she kept at the time, she describes feeling free after leaving Paul, saying that she wasn't as frightened of him coming to kill her like he'd always threatened because he didn't know where to find her in um, Brampton and because she knew he had a lot to lose. So she kind of felt like, I'm free finally. And um, he's under the eyes of the police. Yeah. And I'm sure her mood's got to be way up. Like before the 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 crash of realizing the trauma and like the guilt of what she's done. She's in that like she's feeling relief honeymoon phase of like, I'm away from him. So as her bruises started to fade, her uncle and aunt persuaded her, go out and have some fun at a local nightclub with some friends. So there, and this is still early January or mid January there, she met a man named Jim Hutton, who she started a new relationship with. So she's like dating this new guy, moving on from Paul. Um, like, Imagine, like, him. going out into normal society and, like, you know, starting a new relationship knowing what you've just done. It's got to be. Yeah. I'm sure she was so just weird. in denial. Like, that's what it kind of sounds like a very much, like, sweep under the rug type of situation where she's just like, I'm free now. I was abused by Paul. Yeah, aunt and uncle yeah. who are giving me sympathy. That's what happened. Yeah. And, and just, just being like, like, I was complete victim. Yeah. And just not that. wanting to face. like And, like, she definitely was a victim. I'm not saying she's not. But, like. Yeah. Like, that beating, the photos, like, she was a fucking victim. There's no way. That she consented to that. I don't no. think there's any way. Hell no. Yeah. So in late January, while Carla was trying to move on from Paul, and Paul was just like wallowing in his misery and rage, a detective from the sexual assault squad at the Metropolitan Police Headquarters in Toronto got a call from their crime lab. Over two years late earlier, the lab had received 224 fluid samples from suspects. From suspects, sorry. From suspects. Suspects. Oh, I can't talk. In the Scarborough It's late, team. y'all. Yeah. I'm trying my best. Just saying. I just said y'all, so. Okay, so the results were in, and one man, so this was uh, late January 1993. Paul's DNA had gone in November 1990, so over three years later, or I guess over two years. Uh, oh, I, I guess that's how long they had. Two years was when they'd gotten all the samples, but yeah. it was three years. So now the results were in, and one man was forensically connected to being the Scarborough rapist. It was the cheerful, unassuming accountant they had interviewed two, three years ago. I wrote two. I think it's three. Paul Bernardo. Two to three. Yeah. So Paul Bernardo was uh, forensically identified as the Scarborough rapist. Finally. At this point... Because Paul had been charged in the Niagara region for assault and the Metropolitan Toronto Police Force had now gotten him, like, as a Scarborough locked rapist. in as the Scarborough rapist. So the police forces got together. The t- Toronto police told the Niagara force that Paul Bernardo, who's living within their jurisdiction, was a major, major sexual deviant. They're like, this guy, we just realized, is a serial rapist and he's living in your jurisdiction. And, and they're like, hey, yeah, we just he just beat his wife. Yeah, and the officers from Niagara were like, hey, I wonder if this suspect from the Scarborough rapist crimes could be the same person who murdered Leslie and Kristen. So they weren't 
Sure, because he didn't fit the profile that the FBI had given to Project Green Ribbon, which was a blue-collar worker, and he was a quote-unquote accountant, as he had told the Toronto police. Which was just a straight-up lie. Yeah, he he had been at one point. Like, when he met Carla, he was working for Pricewaterhouse, which is an accounting firm, but then he got unemployed and um, was smuggling cigarettes. But also, Paul drove a Nissan, not a Camaro, so that they were like, could it be him? He doesn't drive a Camaro, which is like... Ridiculous. But either way, the Niagara Port police were on board to investigate Paul, as well as his wife as a potential accomplice, because they're like, this guy's got an accomplice. Millions of dollars had been spent on the investigation. Thousands of Camaros had been searched. Hundreds of men had been interviewed as suspects. It was a very high priority case. So when they finally had a clear potential, like, suspect, they were gonna fucking move and make that a very big priority. So the Toronto police put Paul under surveillance because they had very obvious reason to believe he was a Scarborough rapist DNA. And mean, in the meantime, a detective from the Niagara police tracked down Carla's location via her parents. And they kind of made it seem like, hey, we want to talk to Carla about Paul. So the parents were like, yeah, here's where she is. So the police called Carla for an interview and she assumed, okay, they want to ask questions about Paul's assault. Early in February of 1993, four police officers showed up at Carla's aunt and uncle's apartment. And as soon as one of the officers identified himself as belonging to Project Green Ribbon, Carla kind of knew what was up. Yeah. So everyone acted really casual. The police officers were like, oh, Carla, we're so sorry. Like, you look like you've been through so much with Paul. She still had signs of bruising. She kind of was walking with a limp and they were like really sympathetic towards her. And Carla was like, yeah, I've been abused. Like she was playing into it too. They started asking her questions about Paul. Um, so they asked, how does he make money? Carla said, he's self-employed as an accountant. They said, is he involved in any criminal activity? She said, no. They said, do you guys have any haircutting equipment in the house? And she's haircutting? like, yeah, because Kristen's yeah. hair was cut. So they're, she's like, why would you ask that? I don't know. But obviously she knew. They asked if she knew anything about the Scarborough rapist. She said she didn't. They asked if um, Paul was sexually violent, which she didn't. She said, I don't know. Like, she was like, apparently she got very shy, but it wasn't because she was shy about it. It was because she was like, oh, I don't want to implicate him. So Carla said no to everything they asked. And when they said, Carla, do you know why we're asking you these questions? Like, they'd say, do you know where the Holy Cross Catholic School is? Like, they were asking her all these questions. And she was like, I don't know. Why are you asking me these questions? Just like, play dumb. So the police left and it was late into the night. They'd questioned her for a long time. When the police left, Carla cracked. She told her aunt about Leslie and Kristen's abductions, rapes, and murders. Although, from what I understand, she downplayed her role and said Paul had forced her to be an accomplice. And I will note, she did not admit anything about Tammy at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. In the morning, Carla's aunt told her uncle about their niece's confession, and they were like, she's got a lawyer up. Like, that was their basic response. So Carla arranged to meet with George Walker, a criminal counselor from Niagara Falls. I'm going to get into everything that happened with Carla in the next episode with everything with her lawyer. But for now, let me tell you about what happened to Paul. After putting Paul under surveillance, so the Toronto police are watching him and, you know, he's creeping around, but they're not catching him doing anything. So they decided that they're going to do their takedown of him on Wednesday, February 17th, 1993. Paul was at home and his phone rang. It was someone trying to sell him a magazine subscription. He wasn't interested, but the guy kept him on the phone and he's like trying to get off the phone. And the next thing he knew, someone knocked on the front door. So he got off the phone or he like put down the phone, opened the door and a man immediately showed him a badge and then shoved him face first against a wall. Good. 
Yeah. Another officer pointed a gun at his head while the first officer handcuffed him. The police then went over and hung up the phone because the telemarketer was really a police officer Mm -hmm. who was distracting Paul while the cops surrounded his house. Before reading Paul... Yeah, just get him. Just fucking trap him. Before reading Paul his rights, the police told him that they had a warrant for his arrest for the Scarborough rapes. Paul was crying when he was escorted to the police car. Like, oh, you can show emotion, sir? Yeah. I wonder if he, like, forced those tears. God, who knows? Everything about him is just fake. Yeah, that's true. And maybe he was upset. And maybe he was, like... Maybe he was upset that he was being being caught. Or maybe he was just upset because he's, like, you know, a hurt child on the inside. But not an excuse. But, you know. And obviously, I had to include this part. He was like, guys, what about my dog? Is someone going to be looking after Buddy? And the officer was like, there's a Humane Society car right there. So animal control picked up poor buddy and i don't know what happened to him yeah that's why like it's not good like that poor dog like yeah i know and he was just left alone paul paul probably yeah paul was feeding him properly and taking him outside that's the interesting thing it seems like i i think there was times where like paul got pissed at the dog but i it seems like they were like kind of good dog owners like in some of it was like carla woke up early to walk buddy it's like you guys can do this but you can't function like i don't know anyways the, I guess the police knew that he had a, the dog and they prearranged the dog to be picked up. What about the iguana? Yeah, I don't know about the iguana. I wonder. I do wonder what happened to Spike. Poor Spike. I know. Poor buddy. Poor Spike. They deserve better. So Paul and... Sorry. I'm joking when I say that about the animals. It's totally a joke. Obviously, like the the actual victims of this case are no but the animals too like yeah yeah the animals too but i owned by paul bernardo and yeah yeah i just that's shitty i love animals and like i love talking about animals so i'm just using it as an excuse to talk about animals but obviously i know that's not what's important in this case it's a joke it's a side note um so paul was to appear in court the following morning for this like accused of the scarborough rapes and that's where I'm going to leave things at for today, because next time I want to tell you about his trial, everything that happened with Carla, with her lawyer, the aftermath, like the sentences and where they are now, because they're both still alive. So that's going to be next time. What do you think so far? That is, oh, I'm, I'm really excited for the next episode because I'm. It's very interesting what happens next. And it's so like, I'm, it's satisfying to like, listen to, first of all, all that horrible, horrible shit they did. And then just to hear like. You got you're good yeah because there's so many cases where well (laughs) i know i know yeah but there's so many cases where it's like you know either people get away from like um was it uh israel keys committed suicide yeah we had her her, like there's like a lot of people who don't get brought to justice and at the very least paul will be showing up in court we know that much but there's so much because both paul and carla are still alive and it's now 2021 at the time of this recording yeah so that's been like 28 years in the meantime so uh, this was five years essentially the the time that they knew each other so there's a lot more to talk about a lot more interesting like fucked up shit happens um so we're gonna save that for part four but yeah that's part three paul bernardo carla homolka yeah, that's been very intense. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I'm I'm going to have a, like a hard time driving home by myself. Check your back seat. Yeah, I will. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, and honestly, I left like I left a lot of details out. No, there's so much and especially cuz this case is so um publicized, like yeah. there's there's literally so much about it. Um 
but it's all wrapped up. So at least like, I guess in some ways you can verify what's true and what's not. But also it's a lot of like he said, she said. Right. That's And so I'll get can. more into that after because obviously the two of them are going to be facing legal re- repercussions. Um, and like I and also – they turn on each other obviously. Yeah. And like I did also say – Paul and potentially Carla have been accused of some other crimes, which maybe I will list in the next part. But because it's unknown, I feel like, you know, maybe I won't include them. I'll focus on including what we know Mm -hmm. as much as possible. But yeah, they're insane people, obviously. I think it's a really like in a terrifying way, a very interesting dynamic between the two of them. Um I will say yeah. I I told I do really agree with you that like Paul is like probably like a hundred times worse than Carla. Yeah. And I don't I, I have seen no evidence that if she never met him, she would be doing the same thing. Right. Or so, that she was seeking out a partner to commit murders. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem that I don't, way. I don't see any evidence for that. Right. But I think it's pretty obvious that Carla didn't care about not that she didn't care about her sister but she was at the very least very negligent with her sister's life and maybe it was i do buy that she like wanted to kill her it's possible i i don't know if she did or she didn't i i wonder if maybe she um felt like i mean i don't think this is the case but maybe she felt like i'm protecting tammy from paul like i think she could have twisted it however she wanted to twist it in her head to make it make sense right but at the end of the day i think she was jealous of Tammy and didn't want her there anymore. I wonder that. And I don't know if it was like she just like lost her mind completely from being abused, but it didn't really seem like his abuse was so severe until after they moved out together. I think so. he was definitely super abusive and yes, she was a yes. victim, but I also think she was very selfish. Yeah. And, I think it's and just that's like, like the underlying, I think that's an underlying like part of her personality, which allowed right. her to do what she did. Yeah. Because I would assume for myself I strongly believe that no matter what situation I would be in, like how bad of a person I was with, I would never do something like that. Yeah, I well, I think I think it's dangerous to think that to, to I know to I can't say, say like, that for sure. I don't, obviously, but I don't think I just think that looking at that situation, I think I that's a situation that I would have gotten out of quicker. Yeah. Like I think we'd like to think that we would have. I sure. think based on my own past and my own like previous relationships, I think that if somebody started to abuse me like that um and You'd mostly a way out and mostly because like i do have a very strong support system right. i have like i was raised to like never let people treat me like that right and i think like i've been in like you know i've been with people who are like kind of shitty but not abusive right, in right. any way shape or form but i think i had i was raised with a toolkit to allow me to recognize yeah abusive behavior and not allow it which we don't know if carla was or she was i don't think she so, was yeah. doesn't look like she it was it doesn't seem like so, it. so it's different yeah so that's part three get ready for part four next week we're we're out of the the extreme yeah disturbing yeah like the really really graphic traumatic stuff. horrible stuff is done we're going to talk. I mean, we will obviously like rehash it throughout yeah, the trial yeah. and everything, but the next part is going to be kind of like the the legal aspect and it I mean That's my favorite stuff to talk about. It's though. really interesting and it's specifically everything that happened with them is extremely fascinating and there's a ton there, so we will get into that next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, I'm sure, like we said last time, I'm sure a lot of people know about this case. So yeah. we'd love to hear your thoughts on it, whether it's about the case in general or about the way that I presented the case. 
love we love to hear any feedback. Um, so Instagram is like one of our number one channels. That's at Who's Knocking Podcast. But you can also send us an email to hello at Who's Knocking If you feel inclined, you can follow us on Twitter at Who's Knocking Pod. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> and um, we would definitely appreciate if you want to rate or review us on iTunes. That helps us out. And follow on iTunes or Spotify. I think that's all the all the things all of that stuff yeah um but we're just so happy to have you and if you've listened all the way to now thank you so much yes we appreciate you joining in our conversations because we'd be talking about this anyways but now we do it (laughs) with you guys here too so um that's all for right now and stay safe out there because you never know who's knocking This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lost Line Media. Artwork by August Digital. Music by Matthew Cook.